Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. Hey, this message is from the morning sessions of our Reach Conference 2021 with Pastor Matthew Lara speaking about mental health and the foundations of freedom. Enjoy this message. Praise the Lord. Man, wow. It is amazing to be here. Hopefully, uh, you've had a great uh, last couple days. Uh, I'm excited, man, for what the Lord has already done in my life and what he's about to continue to do uh, with this morning and this this evening. Uh, before I get started, uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn with me to the book of Colossians uh, chapter 3. And just hold your spot there. Um, I, I do want to take a moment to, to give some thanks. Uh, first and foremost, I give thanks to God. Uh, I, I do not take it lightly uh, to be able to be on this platform. Um, I had a conversation with someone yesterday that said, do you get nervous with the interviews? And I said, yes, because I represent something bigger than myself. But I get way more nervous when I come and preach the, the word of God because I'm representing God. Right. Uh, so, so I want to give thanks to God for, for uh, saving me uh, at the ripe young age of 14 years old at a Billy Graham crusade and, and just rocking my life from then on. Um, secondly, if you guys have that picture, you guys can put that up. Um, I want to give thanks to, to my wife. This is, this is my family. Um, I can't see it back here, but hopefully y'all can see it there. Uh, I want to give thanks to my wife. Uh, she is, uh, Amazing. I mean, there's no words to describe this woman that God has, has blessed me with. Um, she's a helper. She's a Proverbs 31 woman. She's a, she's a kill the enemy with a spike through the head woman. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> and, and, and I just want to thank her for, for releasing me, uh, for entrusting me as, as the priest of our home. Um, and she, she really wished that she could be here with us. Um, but here's a praise report is on Monday, we had our final chemo treatment. And we're believing that she's cancer free. And we're believing that this is a testimony that will lead to more salvations in the future to come. And so, so just grateful for her. Uh, I do also want to take a moment to thank my pastors, Pastor Mike and Abby Perez, uh, for Man, just releasing me, believing in, in this young kid who came into the church. I mean, I was jacked up from the floor up, uh, and, and, and the Lord did a work and a miracle in me. Um, I also want to thank uh, the, the, the president of Reach Network, Pastor Omar Lopez, and his wife, uh, uh, Leti Lopez, for, again, just believing in young people and releasing them to do what God has called them to do. I do want to give a background of who I am. Uh, for those that don't know, uh, my name is Matthew. All right. Uh, I'm an assistant pastor at the, uh, the Bell Gardens Church. Uh, I've, been, I've been faithfully serving there since 14 years old when the Lord saved me. Um, and God has used me throughout the years in different capacities. Uh, a couple uh, notes is I grew up in a blended family. I know some of y'all might relate to that, right? Where uh, uh, my, my parents uh, separated at a young age. And, and so I grew up uh, mostly with my, with my father uh, and, and grew up with him. And he's, he's an amazing man of God. He's a pastor in the city of Arlington Riverside, along with my, my stepmom and my, my siblings who are doing the work of God there. Um, I, I began my career in mental health in 2013 
but I began my school career when I was 19 years old and really just uh, trying to find what the Lord uh, was going to lead me to. I graduated uh, from Cal State Fullerton with my bachelor's in human services, and then I went on to get my master's in social work, and I am 11 weeks away from being a licensed clinical social worker. And I say all that to say this is in the experiences that I've had, uh, there are clients and families that I've worked with that uh, if I shared, if I had the time to go through every single experience that I've had, you'd be, you'd be surprised and maybe a little scared and shocked at some of the stories that I can share. I mean, conversations that I've had with kiddos that are uh, not much older than six years old, seven years old, saying that they want to jump in front of a car and end their lives. Having conversations with families or, 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 or loved ones that say, hey, I don't know what's wrong with my child, but all, all over their bodies, they've got cuts on their arms, on their legs. All these conversations about sexual abuse, sexual molestation, physical abuse, neglect. These are experiences that uh, uh, unfortunately have become commonplace in the work that I do. And there's a truth in this is that Although I am in the secular world a therapist by trade, as I come into the church, sadly, these experiences are not rare. There are many people here, whether you're a leader, a pastor, a friend, that maybe you've had phone calls in the middle of the night where someone calls you and says, hey, I want to end my life. You've had conversations with people in your congregation where they come up to you and ask you, Pastor, what do I do? I just found out my son was abused by his teacher. And the reality is, is that we've come to this kind of crux in our world today where mental health has kind of been put on display, right? You'll see it all over social media. People talking about self-care, people talking about depression and anxiety, And it's become commonplace to have a conversation. But I wonder today if the church has shied away from the conversation about mental health. I believe that there's some reasons for that. We shy away from tough conversations because we're not trained on what to say when we meet those conversations. So this morning, I'd like to give you four things. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to take notes. Uh, I like to uh, title things with the same letter to make it easier to track with me. So we're going to be talking about foundation, framework, fundamentals, and a final encouragement. Let's look at Colossians chapter 3. Verse 12 says this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanks, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, 
in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord. God, I thank you for everything that you've already done through the price that your son Jesus paid on the cross to give us forgiveness of sin and eternal life. Lord, I thank you for your word that's true and perfect. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that's in this place that guides us and teaches us all things. God, I pray that in this moment that your word would go forth and change and transform lives. Lord, that we would leave this moment different than how we walked in. Holy Spirit, I pray for the miracle of salvation. God, that you would do the work that only you can do, drawing men and women to the Father here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Firstly, let's look at foundation. I want to give us all a foundation by which we do counseling, biblically. The Bible says this uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. That word sanctify means make holy. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the reality is, is that uh, as a secular therapist, I can meet with clients, I can meet with families, I can provide treatment, and there is change that occurs, right? I've seen tremendous stories of kiddos that have suffered from uh, depression or anxiety and and months later are, are saying, I no longer deal with that any longer. But the truth is, is that although people can go to a secular therapist and receive change, they're not dealing with both parts of the person. This was talked about yesterday, and I love that. The reality is, is humans are not only physical, but they're also spiritual. And this is the point that Paul makes here in 1 Thessalonians. He says, listen, there's there's these components of the human being that God also wants to touch. There's these areas, the spirit, pneuma, the soul, the psyche, and soma, the body. The Bible tells us also in, first, in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says this, for the, Lord, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Paul, uh, here uh, uh, in the, the, the author of Hebrews, doubles down on this thought that as we're counseling, we're not merely addressing the body. We're not looking for behavior modification. <laughs> Sometimes the church can look a lot like AA or NA. We're saying the serenity prayer, thinking that it's scripture. The Bible says that God wants to go deeper with his people. That the word of God is so sharp that could divide these positions of his people, the the things in people's hearts, the thoughts and the intentions. Have you ever considered why you do what you do? Have you ever thought to yourself, after you got in an argument with your spouse, you walk away and you're like, why did I say that? After you said something to your children, 
After you acted in some way that you know is against God's word, have you ever thought to yourself, why did I just do that? The Bible says that it's the word of God that is able to cut deep into those areas. Which leads me to say this. There's nothing outside of these 66 books that you need. I say that with the conviction of my heart, knowing that I got to go to work on Monday with all the treatment experience, all the things that I've done, all the schooling that I've done. There is nothing that is outside of these scriptures that could ever support you in counseling people with mental health issues. Let me make it very plain. Church, the scripture is all sufficient. We don't only believe that the scripture is inerrant, meaning that there's no error in it. We believe that everything that we need is found in these words here. The sufficiency of scripture. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says this. All scripture. Someone say all scripture. Genesis to Revelation is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God or woman of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Either you believe that scripture or you don't. The foundation of biblical counseling is that we don't look elsewhere first. (laughs) We look first at the word. We look first at the word. Paul says this in Romans 15, 4. He says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. That through endurance, going through it, dealing with it, walking through the tough situations... And through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. It's through the scriptures. So I want to tell you a simple way. Listen, maybe you're here and you're like, I don't know how to study the Bible. (laughs) And I get that. I've been there. I want to give you three simple questions. Write these down. As you read the Bible, ask yourself first, what does this scripture say about God? Too many people look to the scriptures and say, what does it say about me? These words were not written about us. It's about him. It's about God. And as we learn the character of God, we can move on to question number two. What does that mean for me? As you read that the Lord is compassionate, what does that mean for you? As you read that God is holy and just and perfect, what does that mean for you? And finally, what do we do next? (laughs) What's the next action that I've got to take? This is the foundation of when it comes to biblical counseling. Because we have to understand this first and foremost before we can do anything else. Secondly, let's look at the framework by which we do biblical counseling. We have this foundation that we stand on knowing that we're addressing both the body and the spirit, knowing that we have the all-sufficiency of the scripture, but now how do we build for biblical counseling? I want to start off by giving you two truths. I don't know what situation you might face. And I'm not talking just to pastors. 
I'm talking to everyone. I know my audience here. There are people here that are pastors. There are people here that are, that are leaders in their church or ministry members, serve, uh, uh, volunteers serving in different capacities. And there are just churchgoers. Counseling is not merely for the pastor. That portion of scripture that we read in Colossians chapter three, Paul is not addressing just the church leaders. He's addressing all believers in that church in, in Colossians. He's saying all of you should encourage and admonish one another. All of you should have the word of God dwell richly in you. All of you. First, there's these two truths that no matter what situation face, no matter what, what's going on, this is going to stand. First, is that everything is unto the glory of God. Everything is unto the glory of God. No matter if you're facing depression, no matter if you're facing anxiety, no matter if it's a physical ailment, no matter if it's a person (laughs) that you're dealing with, everything ought to be done unto the glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says this. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, that includes everything. There's no distinction there. He says, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. That's the truth. I cannot look at someone in the eyes while I'm counseling to them and tell them, listen, your situation is going to get better 100% because I don't know that. But what I can stand by, when I stand in front of them and tell them the truth, I can tell them, God is asking you to do it all unto his glory. You do it all unto his glory. Secondly, the other truth is this. Is that no matter what we face, the goal is to become more like Jesus. That's the truth. James chapter 1, verse 2 and 4. I I always struggled with these verses. He says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Pause. He says, when you. (laughs) He doesn't say, if you. Can 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 I be real? I didn't think at the age of 31 that I'd be battling a season where my wife has got cancer. I wouldn't think that that. 12 months into my son being on this earth that we would also have to manage chemotherapy and considering what our life is going to be like 10 years from now. That's not something I expected. James says, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. The goal is sanctification. If you're a believer here in this place, you know that this, the moment of salvation, you've experienced what's called justification, meaning that not because of what you've done, but, we, but because Jesus did, you're holy and blameless before his sight. But it doesn't end there. There's now this process in the life of a believer where we're constantly being sanctified, being made more holy by God. 
And that's the process by which we live on this earth. And it's not until we cross over from this life into the next that we'll experience the final state, which is glorification. This is the reality for lives is that in this life, we will experience trials. That's the truth. So no matter what's going on, counseling is encouraging, rebuking, teaching, admonishing, comforting, and leading people to glorify God and to grow to be more like Jesus. As you leave this place, that is the goal. That is the goal with counseling, with biblical counseling. Secondly, there's this point of empathy. <laughs> empathy is, is so, so interesting when you look at that word. And, and I know that this is a word that's thrown out in the secular world. I know that there's a lot of great authors that have written books on this topic. Empathy is merely this. is being able to see a situation from another's perspective. That's what empathy is. Meaning that when you talk to someone, when you, when someone stands before you with a situation that's difficult, when you have someone crying because they're literally feeling like their world is destroyed by what they're experiencing, is that our job as biblical counselors isn't merely to just prescribe some sugar pills and move on. Our job is to connect with their perspective to then be able to lead them through the scriptures on how to deal with this situation. That's the goal. Too many of us have this attitude, well, it's not my problem. I'm not going through it. I'm not experiencing that. Well, what I find most interesting is that we claim to want to be more like Jesus, but yet when it comes to these points like this, we say, nah, that's not for me. The Bible says this about Jesus in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. It says, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus had to be and had to experience what humanity experiences for God's plan to come to fruition. If you didn't know this, you'll know this now is that Jesus was fully God and fully man. We call that the hypostatic union. Fancy word. Meaning that he experienced what we experience. As a matter of fact, there's many images of that through the New Testament where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and the Bible says that he was up with so much pressure that he began to cry tears as of like blood. You ever cry, ugly cry before the Lord? And your shirt is drenched, not from sweat, but from the tears that you're, Crying? Again, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 says this. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Mental health issues are not sin, but our response to them can become sin. Feeling sad, feeling lonely, feeling angry, those are emotions. We're human beings. We experience those things. But our actions that we take afterward can be sin. And so what does that mean for us? We see what Jesus does. What does that mean for us? Well, Paul says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 15. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Connect with the people that you're counseling with. They're not looking for just a solution. They're not looking for just some words of encouragement. They're looking for you to connect with them in empathy. To weep with those who weep. To rejoice with those who rejoice. He says in Galatians, Paul, he says this in in chapter 6, verse 2. Bear one another's burden and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Well, Jesus says there's two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Simple question. What would you want someone to say to you? What would you want someone to do for you in your situation when you felt broken, when you felt messed up, where you felt lost, where you felt lonely, where you felt no one could understand my situation? What would you want someone to tell you in that moment? Can we feel the conviction and the heaviness of God's spirit to do that for others? If we cannot practice empathy and counseling, the reality is, is that we'll become like the wicked servant who received forgiveness and then turned around and treated his servant harshly. There's too many Christians that experience what I call gospel amnesia. <laughs> now you've been saved for a little bit. You don't, you don't act the same way that you used to. You don't, you don't do the things that you used to. And now someone comes up to you struggling with maybe even the exact same sin or maybe the exact same thing that you struggled with before. And now we can't show a bit of empathy because we think we're so high and mighty. Oh, I've got it all together. The Lord looks at us and if you know the account of what Jesus is talking about in this parable, he tells them, you're a wicked servant. How dare you receive forgiveness and yet not show it to others? How dare you receive freedom? How dare you receive counseling? How dare you receive empathy and not give it to others? The third thing of biblical counseling is a warning. I want to give a warning. And the warning is against toxic positivity. You, you, you all know what I'm talking about. It's the blab it and grab it mentality. Oh, just speak it out. Now, I believe in prophecy. I believe in believing the word of God and standing on his prophet, uh, promises. 
But it's not enough when a person is going through a situation, just tell them, just believe. Or how about this one? We'll misquote scripture. Like Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we say, all things work together for my good. Oh, okay. I don't know what translation you're reading. Or you have to have faith. How terrible would it feel for a person of faith who's in the presence of God daily seeking his face to just be met with, you don't have enough faith. You know, I love evangelist David Diga Hernandez for tackling this topic many years ago. I'll plug his book, Defeating Darkness. If you've never read that book, you need to read it. And Diga is one of my really good friends. A person that I look up to. A person that I'm like, man, that guy's walking with God. (laughs) And yet, he demonstrates in that book the vulnerability of the things that he experienced. How dare we look at someone and tell them, you don't have enough faith. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We're going to dive in deep here. This is what the Bible says. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Not my good. For good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Sometimes we stop there. We take scriptures and we'll cut them up and we'll speak them out of context, thinking that we have the the full picture, but we don't. Because the following verse says this, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The Bible says that the purpose of the good is so that we might be conformed to the image of Jesus. That does not mean that your situation is going to change. Look at Joseph. You think Joseph knew that his situation was going to change when he was arrested at Potiphar's house? Yet at the end of Genesis, we say, he, we, we read that he tells his brothers, he's like, look at what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And we understand the principle is that Joseph got blessed in that, but that's not where the story ends. The good was that the people of God were going to be preserved in Egypt, then rescued from Egypt, then sent to the promised land, then then have a king Messiah that's to come to be the savior of the world. That's the story. Is that the good was not about Joseph. It was about God. And it was about his people being conformed to that image. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Again, another scripture that if we're not careful, we miss it. It says this, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. Every experience we see in Genesis with Cain, the first account of depression. His countenance fell and God says, why is your countenance fallen? From the very beginning. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the, with the temptation will also provide the way of escape. A lot of us pause there. We put a period in that sentence. We stop there. But here's the reality. When we think escape, what do we think of? We think not dealing with it anymore. We think, oh, it's gone. 
I'm out. <laughs> the Bible has a comma. And it says that you may be able to endure it. That you may be able to endure it. That you may be able to go through it. The reality is some of us are going to experience hardship that God is intentionally using to mold us and shape us, to glorify him. And God's purpose is for us to endure through those things. Not just escape. Thirdly, I want to give you some fundamentals. All right, like I want to give practical. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a type of preacher that, I, that I'll give practical stuff because I think it's necessary. We study the word of God. Okay, now what? What's the next step? In, in my, my studies uh, for, for my, my master's, I learned early on some counseling basics. And I was very careful as I put together this message. I, I didn't want to just bring about stuff that I've learned in school without actually examining the scriptures and see if this is something true. Because too many people in our world today will quote something thinking that it's good and hold it as doctrine in life when it's not even found in the scriptures. I grew up being told God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> I, one day I was like, where is this scripture? Where? I can't find it. Google's not working for me, man. Like, I got to figure out where the scripture is. It's not scripture. <laughs> Headlines. <laughs> so, I do want to give you some practical. We're going to talk about the oars. In a boat, right? Whenever you go on a boat that has oars, right? You have those little paddle things that, that help guide you to the direction in which you're going. This is the thing that I'm going to give you. And this is an acronym that stands for different things. First, open-ended questions. When you're counseling someone, you got to use open-ended questions. This is what the Bible says. Proverbs 18.2. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. <sighs> How many of us go into a counseling session and Instead of asking questions to understand, we just want to express our opinion. Let me tell you, friend, never assume. Just ask. Just ask. And the reason why I share open-ended questions is because have you ever been in a counseling session and you ask a closed-ended question? Like a yes or no question, right? Gives a dual answer. You're like, okay, where do I go next? <laughs> What do I do now? Asking an open-ended question allows a person to be able to express themselves because the truth is, is that someone might come to your office, someone might come to your home, someone might call you in the middle of the night and say, oh, my wife is mad at me. She did X, Y, and Z to me. And we begin to counsel on that thing, but it's not until weeks later we find, wait, what did you say to your wife before that? Oh, I didn't know that. Here's some things you can jot down, questions, formulations that you can use. Who, what, when, where, and how. How did, how did that happen? Where, did it, where were you at when this took place? Who were you involved with? Here's another one. I love this because Diga uses this. 
If you guys didn't notice, when he's talking to people after they've been healed, he says, tell me what you're feeling. Here's the one thing that I use. Tell me about X, Y, and Z. Someone comes up to me and asks me about marriage questions. Tell me about your, your marriage. Tell me about what your day looks like. Tell me about what you, what you do on a daily basis. These are questions that you can ask. The second one is this, affirmation. Affirmation. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3, admonishes us and says this, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. When people come to us and they're experiencing situations, this is where that empathic response takes place. You can say things like this. I'm so glad that you came to talk with me. That's not easy to do. I can say this as a Hispanic male. I was never instructed to talk about my feelings growing up. I was never instructed to say about what's going on in my mind. And there's maybe some men in this place that you're kind of battling that in your mind. And when your pastor or your leader comes up to you and says, hey, how are you doing? You're like, I'm fine. And then finally, you get the courage to go into their office and you're met with, do this, 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 this. Instead of just starting with, I'm so glad that you came. That's not easy. That's hard to do. Telling someone that's experiencing a mental health issue and saying, that's really hard. And not just saying that because that's the word to say, but really understanding what that means. Is that it's really hard. As a believer and you're struggling with depression, as a believer and you're battling anxiety, you're battling PTSD, and you're coming into a conference like this, it's hard. And it's okay to recognize that. Next one is reflection. This will help a lot of people. Proverbs 18, verse 13, it says, if anyone gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame. We have to listen. How many of us in counseling sessions are waiting, we're mulling over the next answer as a person is pouring their heart out to us? If we're not careful, we've missed everything they've already said. We're giving an answer to the past thing that was 10 minutes ago. Here's some, some ways that you can reflect for people. You can reflect words. I hear you saying. What I'm hearing you say is, and just repeat what they said. Not just for their sake, but for your own sake. I'm tracking with you. Preachers do it all the time. <laughs> That's why we say Amen. <laughs> You can reflect feelings. If you see someone, all of us have learned from very young, right? Preschool, what happy looks like. We all know what sad looks like, what scared looks like. Hey, you, you seem really nervous. Hey, man, you seem really sad. And I know what the reality is, is we're afraid to say that because maybe we're wrong. It's all right, they'll correct you. <laughs> Brush it off. No, I'm not sad. I'm angry. Okay, cool. Let's talk about that. <laughs> or finally, reflecting behaviors. Hey, I noticed that you're, you're shaking. You had someone in your office or someone in your house, and they're doing this with their leg? You're like, dude, what's wrong? You're shaking the whole house. Right? 
Observing those things. And finally, summary. This is the, I feel like this is a vital one. Proverbs 20 verse 5 says this, The purpose in man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. In biblical counseling, there are many times where you'll have people who come in and will state one thing, and then after a conversation, you're like, wow, the purpose of their heart has been revealed. But if we're not careful, what we'll end up doing is bringing on a weight on us that we don't need by saying, this is what you need to do. Let me, let me, let me, let me go deeper on that. Let me help you out. Give direction, not decisions. Because you know what's going to happen? More than likely, that person is not going to do exactly what you told them to do. And two weeks later, they're going to come into your office and say, Pastor, you told me. (laughs) That's not what I said, but okay. Summary helps us to guide the conversation to a plan so that they can then begin to exercise what God has placed in them. Here are some examples, a collective summary. We've talked about a lot. Here are some things we've talked about. Just to make sure we're on the same page. A linking summary. A minute ago, you said that you said X, Y, and Z to your wife. Now you're saying something different. Bringing them to that point of decision in that counseling session. Or how's this one? This is a good one. Pastors, listen. If your counseling sessions are going three, four, five, six, seven, eight hours, this is going to help you. A transition summary. We've discussed your plan X, Y, and Z. Can I answer any questions before we move on? (laughs) We've talked about what we're going to do. These are some basic skills that you can use. And finally, here's a final encouragement. Diagnosis does not determine destiny. Diagnosis does not determine destiny. The ultimate point is that regardless of the diagnosis, whether it's depression, anxiety, PTSD, whether it's a bodily ailment like cancer or or diabetes or heart disease, it doesn't matter because our destiny is determined in Christ and his completed work on the cross. That's the reality of our experience here on earth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 19. Therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Let me say this. I know my audience. But if you're here, or maybe you're watching online and you've never heard this, let me tell you, we've all broken God's law. And every single one of us, at one point, we're guilty of that. And because God is holy and perfect and just, if we were to die in that state, we would have to stand before him and bear the weight of that guilt upon us. And because he's holy and he's just, he would have to send us to hell to be eternally separated from him. That's a reality. But God, 
But God, who is rich in mercy and compassionate, sent his one and only son, Jesus, to be born of a virgin, to live a perfect life, to do the one thing that we could never do, to then be falsely accused, to be beaten beyond recognition, to be forced to carry a cross that he did not deserve, to die on that cross and pay the penalty of our sin. And the Bible says that the story doesn't end there, but that after three days he rose from the grave and now forever sits at the right hand of the Father being an advocate for those that would believe. This is the gift that God gives to you and I. Listen, friend, I tell you this with all the love in my heart that God extends grace and mercy to you. And if you were to just believe that you would have the promise of eternal life, that as Jesus tells the woman at the well, he says, if you knew the one that's speaking to you, you would just ask And you would have living water, eternal life. Let's bow our heads. If that's you, and you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart, you say, that's me, Pastor Matt, that's me. I need Jesus. I need forgiveness of sins. Listen, I want to lead you through a prayer. I believe the Holy Spirit's already working in you in that. And I also recognize that you maybe have never prayed a prayer in your life. So if that's you, would you say this prayer with me? And I'm going to ask the Christians in this place, you're a believer, to say this prayer along with those that are saying it for their very first time to support their decision. Let's pray. Say, Father, I come before you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again for me. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I repent of them now. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit and lead me from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's the most important thing of this morning. Listen, if you said that prayer for the very first time, listen, we want to connect with you. If you're here in person, listen, Come talk to an usher, a greeter, anyone with a badge. Come talk to me. If you're online, listen, drop a comment in the live chat or in the comment section below the video and just say, hey, I said that prayer. And we want to reach out to you and support you in this walk with God. We can all stand up to our feet. We're going to do one more thing before we dismiss. We're going to take a moment of response. I realize that the message that I put together might have been a little bit more of a teaching and maybe there's some practical skills that you've gotten, but there's a response that's needed. Maybe God dealt with you in the foundations. Maybe you've been dealing with life, whether for yourself as a person who's counseling others or for your own personal experiences that you believe that you're only dealing with the body. Or maybe that the scriptures weren't sufficient for you and you need to repent of that. You need to respond to God in that. Maybe it has to do with the framework of biblical counseling. Maybe you've taken things that you've learned out in the secular world and God's dealing with you, cutting at the heart and saying, you got to do this. Pastor, leader, Christian, friend, you got to do this. Maybe it's on the fundamentals. Maybe we talk more than we listen. The Lord needs to deal with that. Maybe it's with that final piece of that encouragement. Maybe you're going through something. Maybe you are experiencing something hard. And just as Jesus tells Paul, my grace is sufficient. 
Maybe in this moment, God wants you to come and be in his presence and just to say, Lord, whether you take it away or not, I'm gonna glorify you. God, whether you deal with it or not, God, I'm gonna glorify you. If that's you, don't wait, come to the altar. Come to the altar. Pastors and and leaders, I'm gonna encourage you to pray with those that come to the altar in this moment. Listen, this is a moment where God can break away culture and traditions that we've leaned on for all our lives as believers. If that's you and the Lord is dealing with you, would you come? Would you come? Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com slash give.